the incomparable. Number 579, September 2021. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. It's the summer of Spielberg. Whose idea was this? Oh, it was mine. Okay, I'll own it. Uh, it's alliterative, or right? Summer? Spielberg? They start with S? Anyway, we're up to 2005's War of the Worlds. Not Orson Welles, not the George Powell one from the 50s. There's some other, uh, there's so many adaptations. Not that syndicated TV show from the 80s, not the other TV show that was just on like five years ago. The Spielberg movie. It's the summer of Spielberg, 2005. Um, and you're saying to yourself, Jason, 2005, that was four years after 9-11. Did it have an influence on the movie? And I'll say, friend, oh boy, did it. Anyway, here to talk about the War of the Worlds. I'm joined by three wonderful people. Shelly Brisbane joins us. Hello. Hello. I will not be exterminated. <laughs> Fair enough. Gene <laughs> McDonald is here. Hello. Hello. I, I, I don't want to be exterminated either, even kicked off the podcast, so. I'm here to just follow along. All right. And Monty Ashley. Hello. I hope we're all ready for a whole bunch of references to Jeff Wayne's musical War of the Worlds. Me too. Okay. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. That was one right there. <laughs> all right. Uh, I was trying to see, could I do this or not? And let me let me see if I can do my, uh, the, the big takeaway I had from War of the Worlds. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> a lot of screaming. Steven Spielberg loves the screaming. Yeah, <laughs> and there's there there's and and so uh, Dakota Fanning does a lot of screaming in War Dakota, of the Worlds. Can we get into Dakota Fanning first? <laughs> let's let's do it. Let's <laughs> do it now. An excellent actor. Yes, but I don't buy her as a kid, even when she is a kid. <laughs> she's so self possessed. She kind of is. I loved it though because yeah, I mean, yeah. usually in a movie like this, her being hysterical would be like half the movie, and yeah, she screams, but. She's kind of got it together. <laughs> yeah, she's I, very good. But when she screams, I'm like, why are you screaming? You're the mature one in the group. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I had that same thought, which is um, her character is, okay, the screams really bug me. Um, they really stress me out and set me off partially because Spielberg thinks that people just need to scream, that it's really great in a movie if characters are screaming when things are happening. And I don't agree. And I don't like the sc- all the screams in all of his movies. I'm just lay that out there. I think the, the, so the opening part of this movie, you know, Tom, Tom Cruise is like sad dad, crane dad. He's, he's <laughs> the divorced dad who's late to get the kids because his ex-wife and, and Tom, is it Tom? What's his name? Tim. It doesn't, Tim, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter Fancy man are off on a, a trip to Boston. And so the kids are going to be left with him and the kids, it's a sullen teen and Dakota Fanning. Uh, Tom uh, Cruise is ordinary guy who's excellent at the crane, but that never comes into play. We just need to know that. So we understand. We he's need to know Tom he's Cruise. competent in his normal life. I think is the point of that. No, I mean I literally, you know, now I'm calling it Chekhov's crane, except <laughs> it did not follow the Chekhov no, rule. Not, not really. Like, it, it, the rule is that if if you see your main character operate a crane at the beginning of the movie, he'll be carried up by an alien crane in a basket of human beings to be used in the human <laughs> juicer later in the movie. Clearly, Chekhov knew what he was talking about. You know, um, parallelism. So my my yeah exactly. So my my point is is the kids and especially Dakota Fanning's uh, character. Th- you know, 
the way they're handled, I find a little perplexing. I think the movie tries really hard to say this is a dysfunctional family relationship and uh, and that he's not the greatest dad, Tom Cruise isn't, but he's going to take care of his kids as best he can anyway when bad things happen and there's an alien invasion. Um, and yet, yeah, like... Dakota Fanning's actually got it together in large portions of the movie, except where the when the script requires her to just completely freak out. And I think early on, I feel like the script basically, in order to make Tom Cruise look a little bit better, really tries very hard to undermine the kids and make them as annoying and bad as possible <laughs> to the point where there's this whole thing about how she's got her happy place that she has to go to that he can like he can take her to with therapy the brother can um so that she's not screaming and there's that there's also that scene where tom cruise tries to very suavely like he's um like he's his character from cocktail make peanut butter sandwiches for people (laughs) (laughs) and the son says she's allergic to peanut peanuts which i find um unbelievable because either he's a spectacularly bad dad because a peanut allergy is very severe or is the movie trying to say that she's got kind of a phony peanut allergy that that tim and mom have taken her to some fancy doctor who is blaming her uh, psychological state on peanuts no. or something i don't no, know he's just a very bad dad he, you I, mean, I think i also don't think he to, sees them very that's often extremely this is not bad, a once every though, two weeks kind of dad this is yeah. like a oh he's, six months ago we hung yeah, out but like yeah he's but, late to pick her up yeah that but means he's a bad dad i, I get that's i get it he's bad, hand, he's, he's bad dad crane dad i get it but like how has he gotten this far without killing his children with peanuts is I guess what I'm asking. If he really doesn't <laughs> know by true. now. Because well, she's smart enough to say no I doubt. guess. Well, they make that sandwich in the house where this kid lives with her mother. So right. they got peanuts that's in also that house. weird because the food is what he's feeding them as if he's at his house. Yeah, I think. And he doesn't look in the fridge. And, surely they're going for the weekend. You'd think so there'd be sandwich meat or something. I think but, it's a I think it's fake or that the movie wants us to think that it's kind of like, oh, these people, they've got her thinking she's got allergic to peanuts and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I have some issues with that. But what the movie's trying to do is say, hey, Tom Cruise, he's a regular guy. He's a uh, he's, he's he doesn't understand how this dad he, thing he works. works he works on a crane but he's a guy who plays by his own rules he won't work late and he's got to drive his car home and like make lots of screeching noises with his tires and stuff uh, yeah. and he doesn't really know his kids and his son doesn't like him but uh, you know but when when his back's against the wall he's going to take care of his kids and so we get a lot of shorthand at the beginning of the movie about that yeah. And he doesn't eat hummus, or he doesn't even. Really oh eat yeah, know what hummus is. That's a big ordinary guy thing. <laughs> hummus, ooh, I wanted food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, thought- the kids are terrible, wanting him to get TiVo, and then <laughs> pausing the movie for a thirty-second TiVo ad. By the uh-huh. way, <laughs> yeah, you should get a TiVo. TiVo, a new th- a new product, only released five years ago. That's. What I was thinking to myself, I did the math. I was like, yeah, TV has been around about five years when this movie comes out. So, so yeah, the first part of this movie is Tom Cruise working at the crane. It's a little blue. I mean, again, I mentioned 9-11. This is a movie about 9-11 fear. That's what it is. I mean, if anybody would like to disagree with me, but I just sat there going, oh, boy. Uh, Especially when Dakota Fanning says... Is it the terrorists at one point? Yeah. I'm like, mm. I, I won't disagree with you, but I will say that in the current pandemic slash climate change catastrophe in which we live, that was freaking me out. I wasn't thinking back to 9-11. I was thinking forward to the current life in which I live. But I take your point that it was intended and it was informed by 9-11. I agree that the portion of the movie from the church exploding 
onward for about 20 minutes is about 9-11. I think the movie wants to be about the divorced dad with pauses for giant set pieces. <laughs> Like, I think this is a movie with War of the Worlds going on in the background more than it is a movie of War of the Worlds. Okay, so um, I think that's I think that's valid. Um, The reason I say it's a 9-11 movie, it's a couple of things. Um, The setting. I mean, I know that they're kind of doing the Grover's Mill, New Jersey thing, which is right out of uh, the Orson Welles uh, radio thing that was uh, Alien Invasion in New Jersey. But, um, you know having it the view of manhattan in the background as he's doing the cranes and all that i feel like is that very much like blue collar new york we're resilient we're coming back kind of post 9-11 message that's going on there and then we see we see urban destruction and there's the the people (laughs) when the when the tripod which we i mean there it's war of the worlds alien tripods come out of the ground to kill people that's what happens in every war of the worlds it happens in this one too um it doesn't seem to destroy their clothes so much as their bodies which i think is interesting it's sort of a neutron bomb for clothes it's did they need those clothes later i don't know anyway um he gets covered in ash and he's he's wiping it off and i thought oh my god like that is very much 9-11 imagery uh, all of the ash and the people at Ground Zero who are covered in ash and all of that. So I, I, th- I think that's there. Later in the movie, Monty, I think you're right. It, it, it's about it's about a dad trying to protect his kids and trying to survive when the world is completely out of your control and going, you know, going crazy, and you're just trying to survive and take care of your kids. But even then, I feel like that is influenced by the idea of having been through 9-11 the idea of the terrible things happen in the world and in the end all you can do is kind of hang on and try to survive um and so i felt like it was still informed by that same kind of feeling of what it was like uh post 9-11 so that that i i just sure. I, you know i could be overstating it but it feels to me like that is a real impetus to this is sort of like having lived through 9-11 it's sort of i'm fascinated that that's what this take is on war of the worlds I think the crowd after the church scene, I call it the church scene because that's when the church, church splits in half. It's a great <laughs> shot. Um, yeah. I think the crowd after that is a 9-11 crowd, the s- staggering home covered in ash. Yeah. But later on, once he gets to the um, the Hudson Ferry, that's not a 9-11 crowd. That is a War of the Worlds right. plot device crowd. Yeah, or or even a, I mean, it's scenes of talking about other things that we've seen, <laughs> like scenes of, of refugees fleeing um, or scenes. Honestly, it was very disturbing. I watched this the day after um, all of that news footage of people at the Kabul airport trying to escape Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And seeing all the people running to the Hudson Ferry, I was like, oh boy, <laughs> like this is that it is it is a different kind of terror. It is people who are just trying to escape uh, before doom comes to them. And that's what that Hudson Ferry scene reminded me of for sure. And then there's yeah. the scene with the mob later. There's another scene yeah. with another crowd and that's the mob, uh, a mob scene too. Um, should I... Should I try to step us through the sections of the of the movie to talk about yeah, it? Pretty sure. Yeah, because there's many there's sections. You it know, really is. Yeah, it's an a episodic structured movie. Kind of movie. Yeah, for sure. There could be act breaks and somebody walking on screen saying, "And now 
Yes, a little card like a silent Two movie. Days later, <laughs> a little card comes down saying uh, <laughs> part the third. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so after bad dad, sad dad, crane dad stuff happens, um, we get. Uh, you know, the dark cloud glowing in the sky, the wind is blowing toward the storm. There's a lot of lightning. It's not like not like the Fourth of July, as it turns out. There's no thunder. Why won't it stop? And um there there we we got the brief slight foreshadowing about EMPs, electromagnetic pulses in the Ukraine, <laughs> and and every you know, every car is dead and all the power goes out. And they say and uh and Robbie, who is his son, who is uh who is Justin Chatwin, who's been in a bunch of things, he is the worst. Uh not Justin <laughs> Chatwin, Robbie. Robbie is the worst. Uh he comes back from having basically stolen his dad's car and done and, and done some joyriding to say there's a big hole. Um and and it leads Tom Cruise to go investigate the hole very personally. Like he ends up being one of the people who's touching the stuff around the hole. Like he gets in there. He's not going to be denied being. This is the first of two times when Tom Cruise says, I'll be back, kids. When yep. something terrible is happening right around where they are. But he needs that to was, go investigate. Yeah. yeah. No, that I mean, throughout, there were many things I'm like, um, right. The That's, kids. There the are a kids. couple that are the most noticeable well, where he leaves them in a, in a place that they're clearly not guaranteed to be safe to go do something that doesn't actually help him or them in any way are you thinking of the scene where robbie is trying to get himself killed yes. and tom cruise tells dakota fanning stand, stand by this, this tree, tree. <laughs> 40 feet away from me so you right. can be kidnapped yes i i guess what i would say is that this is the difference between being a movie dad and a movie mom <laughs> is the movie dad and maybe the real dad i don't know but i i just i think that's a very dad attitude which is kids you stay here where you're safe and i'm gonna go where it's dangerous to figure out what's going on and then i will return back with information which is definitely an approach and it's the the approach that tom cruise's character takes in this movie um the other approach would be I'm going to stay with my kids because there are terrible things happening out there and we're going to stay here. Uh, but that, but that's not, you know, not only would that be maybe a less interesting movie uh, because Tom, where would Tom Cruise run to uh, than <laughs> this movie? But that's definitely his method is you stay here while I go figure out in this case, what's going on in that, that sinkhole, which um, is not a sinkhole, but it's kind of behaves like a sinkhole for a while. Um, and we get our first big kind of like sort of set piece, which is this thing collapses and a, and a car goes into it and is spat back out, which is a bad sign. That means something bad is down there. And a tripod comes up and it zaps a bunch of people with like a heat ray. And yeah. Tom Cruise has to do lots of running and running around a corner and he runs through a building in a really nice scene where, where there's a kind of a continuous shot as he runs sort of like into the building and people are still getting zapped in the building and he runs out, blowing the, up around out him. the back side it's very like i mean you got to say it for steven spielberg um the guy knows how to how to do action sequences and this is a very dramatic one where it, it where our hero is not again not trying to save the day because this is not the movie where tom cruise saves the day this is the movie where tom cruise tries not to die and 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 succeeds yay tom cruise <laughs> tries not to die and then at the end the day was saved conveniently yeah right. right which again that war of the worlds right like that's right. literally how, how war of the world stories work is and then in the end they just died on their own and then it was i know but i'm going to have more to say about yes. this when we get towards the yeah. end of the movie yes it, it's it's an interesting this was very early for science fiction very very early but anyway this is this is uh there's a lot of great 
uh, great shots in this. Uh, the sound design, I think this won the Oscar for for sound mixing and sound <laughs> editing. Um, two categories that are often intermingled, and I'm not sure everybody who votes on it really knows what they're voting for. But ha- having watched this on my surround sound system, oh my god, this movie sounds great! It, like it sounds great. The explosions and the and the weird noises, the weird call that the tripods make, and all that. Like it's really good, and it it also won the visual effects award. Like I I think that this scene in particular is spectacular in in you know putting us in the right run tom cruise run <laughs> while <laughs> horror happens around him yeah yeah the um definitely the uh the disintegrating of people right on the street first of all i was like it's like the snap you know <laughs> people just like disappear yeah into ash. Um, it looked a lot better than the snap by the way yeah and also you know i know the novel and I, you know, know the, the story. And I thought I, I, but you know, it's been a while and I thought, Oh, so they're just going to zap them instead of what they eventually do. Mm. And I thought, Oh, that's much better. I much prefer to be zapped than, uh, you know, smooshed. Yeah. There is a heat. I think there is a heat ray or some sort of beam in the novel that happens. There is. And then later they start collecting humans in baskets. (laughs) (laughs) So that does oh yes, we we will. I'm sure we will talk about so, the, the aliens and their um their mixed up priorities. But whatever. So Tom Cruise uh does go back and gets the kids, and basically they're gonna take this car that his friend Manny, who uh has rebuilt the engine and therefore didn't get zapped by the EMP conveniently. He replaced conveniently. the solenoid. solenoid yes, yeah. that's right. <laughs> he had a working solenoid. Somehow, Some, yeah. Uh, so, so he tells Manny, "Get in, Manny, or you're going to die." However, at no point does he explain. Just as he is when he's gotten his kids, he has not explained to them. Perhaps he's explained we can, nothing to nobody. Yeah, he's we can, Tom Cruise, right? We could say it's trauma, right? But like, it would that scene where he goes to the kids and says, "We got to be out of here in a minute," and he's all covered in ash and all of that. Like, he doesn't have to tell the whole story, but it would have definitely greased the skids for his uh, conversation with his kids if he could have said. A big machine came out of the ground and killed everybody, and we got to run. But instead, and the he's conversation just silent. with Manny is actually quite long. He has plenty of time to say, "Look, there's something really terrible that's happened. It's right We're around the corner. Away. You should come with us. Get in." He doesn't do that. He just says, "Get in, or you're going to die." After a right. very long time of letting Manny just ask, "Why are you stealing my car?" <laughs> Well, Manny isn't very observant. It's like the kids. The kids take a long time to accept there's something going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like Dakota, this is a little early, but when Dakota Fanning decides she has to pee and has to go very far away, (laughs) you saw some of the wreckage, kid. Right, right. the same thing. It was like, I I would be able to hold it um, for days, or I, I think everybody in the car would say, we don't care if you pee your pants. Yeah. That's right. Even like, if you couldn't, I think her desire to stay close to her family at that point would be pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think in your, you're in that moment, maybe the fear of the world would override your fear of being watched while you pee, but I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, we'll, we'll get there. Um, uh, get in Manny or you're going to die by the way Manny then Manny dies because he doesn't get in didn't listen to Tom Cruise that's what you get they uh, take off in the van that Manny fixed thanks R.I.P. Manny uh, and the whole neighborhood basically goes up the tripods come and they destroy the whole like freeway overpass bridge thing that goes through the neighborhood and everything mm-hmm. smashes and they're they're driving out of there um, 
this is the point where they say you really need to explain what's going on and Dakota Fanning Rachel she screams and screams and screams and screams and then the and then uh, the brother calms her down and uh and this is the point where I thought I don't know you know maybe maybe Dakota Fanning needs to check out that heat beam anyway <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe Tom Cruise will learn to do that and calm her down at a crucial moment. Mm. That would that would have been a good storytelling thing, right? Because yep. you know he sees Robbie do it, and then he tries to learn it later, yep. and she says that's how how you do it. Maybe like a third uh-huh. beat where now that doesn't. Nope. Happen. Yeah, I would have <laughs> expected that payoff. That sad. seemed like a really simple one. It's not sad, Dad. Crane, Dad. He's not going to do that. He's not learning stuff. Come on, he's just going to do. He's a man of action, not a man of calming people down. All right, let me take a quick break from the Summer of Spielberg to tell you about the sponsor of the Summer of Spielberg. It's privacy.com. Now, you know, all of us, when we get to that screen and they say, put in your credit card, and especially for me, the box that you check that says, store my credit card, all I can think is, well, you know, are you secure? Are you going to store my credit card? Are you going to get a data breach and lose my credit card? Am I going to have to cut up this card again? get another one, change all the items on all of my bills. Uh, So frustrating to deal with that sort of thing out there on the internet. Privacy is a tool. It's not just a concept. It's a tool that makes it easy for you to manage your financial life online while keeping your most important information secure. It generates virtual credit card numbers. So it masks your bank's information. You never have to worry about giving it out to people you don't know online or clicking that save box. So easy to sign up. Um, It will ask you to link it to a debit card or to your bank account. And uh, once that link is in place, then all you can do is uh, generate a private credit card and use that, knowing that you can control it. You can have one for whatever you want to use it for. You decide who can charge your card. You decide how much, you decide how often, and you shut down these virtual credit cards anytime you want. Plus, you can make sure you're never accidentally billed twice or upgraded to another service without your consent. You have complete control of what each of your credit cards can do, and it's all at privacy. So the people that you give those cards to don't know anything else about you beyond that. Privacy is partnered with 1Password. You can create, use, and save privacy cards directly within your 1Password dashboard as well. All virtual cards created in 1Password have the same security benefits as your other privacy cards, and you can set spend limits, create single-use or merchant lock cards whenever you want. Go to privacy.com slash incomparable and sign up for an account. New customers will automatically get $5 to spend on your first purchase with your new virtual card. Go to privacy.com slash incomparable. Sign up now. Thank you to Privacy for supporting The Incomparable. Uh, So they do make it to Mom and Tim's house. They're on their way to Boston, so they're not there. He does the thing. But inexplicably, they go into the house and yell their names as if they expected them to be there. Also, what was it made them think that that neighborhood was going to be safer than where they were? They weren't in a position to check. You know, they went a considerable distance and saw destruction and devastation on the way. So, yeah. Yeah, but, but, you know, in their defense, uh, it was not the uh, Martians that brought down their house. Um, And also, like, I was having a little bit of a problem understanding, like, the, the geography of this story up until this point, because... 
you know, when they arrived there, I said, this is Boston. This looks like some suburb. Oh. They go. No, they're I mean, just he, in, they're just in, in New Jersey. Yeah. So Tom lives in Bayonne, which in, you know, a sort of working class neighborhood. And they must have driven into like the fancy New Jersey suburbs. Yeah. Um, and then, then they go north. Yeah, um, I, I think the reason that they call for them is there's this question of like this disaster just happened. So maybe they couldn't go and they are there and they didn't, they mm-hmm. got turned around. Um, in terms of not thinking that the tripods are going to destroy this house too. Um, I don't know. I think they maybe don't understand the scope of it and they think this is just maybe localized. Maybe it's wishful thinking a little bit. And yes, to the point uh, that somebody made that it's, it's not, it's not an alien killing machine that actually wrecks the house in this scene. It's, it's a crashed uh, jetliner that crashed. Another great shot. 747, which I had to go back. That was one of the things I went back to look at like, um, where, how do they signal it's a 747 and, um, actually, yeah, that, that, that's the double decker and you see more than two engines. Right. I love when the needle swings back to spectacle in this movie, mm-hmm. when it's spectacle, when Spielberg is saying, here is a plane that has destroyed an entire neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You see, I built a neighborhood and destroyed it with a plane. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's well and and the way it's done cuz we don't know what's happening, right? We've we've also lived through this tripod destroying their neighborhood and now they've come to this other neighborhood and something bad is happening and they go hide sort of like in the in the in the cellar back behind the yeah. basement and we don't really know and there's flames and stuff and like Oh yeah. The way it's the the I I think Spielberg is good at the reveal too. So they do all of that and you're like, "Oh man, the aliens are everywhere. This is really bad. And then when he comes out of the door, you know you're going to get that moment of spectacle, which is uh, the basement is burned. And then he goes upstairs and they're doing this tracking shot where you realize, like, he's outside. There's actually, they've got they've got wind blowing a little bit. And so he, even though he's standing in the living room, everything is a little bit breezy. So the, that's the first implication that the house has been kind of blown apart. Um, and then you pull back and you're like, see, look at that. The aliens destroyed. And then it keeps pulling back and you go, oh, my God, uh, there's a plane. There are pieces of a plane. And and then you realize that the whole rest of the neighborhood has basically been destroyed. And they're fortunate to not have been by this. You know, the plane basically stopped before it could destroy uh, them and kill them, too. It's it's just a really masterful sequence, right? Because it there's it's always more. <laughs> yeah, it, and you're right. It is revealed, but in a way that's not all at once. It continues and continues all the way to the point where, again, he leaves his kids and he goes out to see what's going on and he <laughs> yep. meets those people. And it's the just van, like, a, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I thought they were going to do a little bit more with that as well. But it was like, hello, news people. Goodbye, news people. Well, I, I would have thought he would have at least from- said, are you in communication with anybody by any chance? Because you have video in your van. Yeah. If you're in communication with anybody, could we find out something about what's going on and what well, direction might the, be a good place the, to go? The lady, I mean, the lady in the news van who is just there for exposition, and it is, it, it is sort of painful, but you do need to have that moment of like what's going on in a broader context. Because yeah. she's like, we, you know, we keep contacting people and then there's no answer. So she says they've tried and they're not getting any answer. But she does have some videotape that she's happy to play back for the random guy who has wandered by in this neighborhood um, that the there are lots of tripods and they're destroying everything. And it's not and just like, like the one. Watch, keep watching, keep, no, wait, here's the good part. Yeah. 
<laughs> right. And when she does at the very end go like, hey, were you on that plane? Ah, oh, rats, because that would have been a great story. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure nobody cares about that plane anymore. <laughs> yeah. Plus, survivors of a tragedy. There's plenty of them at this point, lady. You don't need this guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I do like that they're they're basically scavenging the uh, the flight attendant food cart from the plane. Yeah. <laughs> to get to get food and and water, uh, in for the news van. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and oh. a stack of um, airplane meals. <laughs> but like... we do get a um a little plot point here, uh, which is is more sort of like how this diverges a little bit from uh the the novel war of the worlds which is here the idea is that they the machines have been waiting dormant underneath in in the ground for maybe hundreds or thousands of years and they're something is coming down came down with the lightning and it's like the pilots are being like uh dropped in to pilot these tripods so we get that little piece of information um just if you're curious about why it's happening lately it, it kind of only is there because they made the decision to have the machines have been there a long time, uh, but there need to be human, not human, alive pilots so that they can die. Yeah. Now, the weird thing <laughs> here is the news lady says, "Look, look, you can see the lightning. Look, look at the lightning. It's fat lightning." <laughs> in the previous scene, Tom Cruise had already explained to his kids that something came down in the lightning mm. to pilot the things. So well, he was way ahead of her, I guess. Yeah, I guess she's like, I've already seen that lady. Come on, show me something else. Also, they must have been there way more than thousands of years ago. There's no. Well, I think Jim Robbins later hit. says millions. Apropos of it's that got to be. Bit. I mean, it's before it was before any any human settlements, right? Permanent right. human settlements, anyway, right? So hundreds of years, at least, if not if not thousands. Yeah, that well, yeah. Or it was before any human permanent human settlements anywhere on the planet, because this is happening right. other places too. So, although a couple thousand years would get you away from most like buildings and stuff, right? <laughs> there would be not a lot at that point. We wouldn't yeah, have sure. to go back too far. But yeah, it's it, that's that's the idea. And they don't they they can't beam down, so they send their pilots down in these little pods that zip down on lightning and and they go in. Um. This is, oh yes, and and before we get to our next uh, thing with the crowd, uh, we do get Dakota Fanning saying she has to pee, as we said, and then goes to the river and sees all the dead bodies floating by. The most Spielberg-y moment in the movie for me is when she's looking at the river and the light from the river is reflected up on her face. Yeah. And you can see the ripples and I'm like, oh, that's very pretty, Steve. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. nice shot. As she watches dead bodies float on the river, float on by. So, yeah, so neither, neither um, you know, dust it nor um, uh, uh, food processed. Like, I was wondering, like, how, where are there all these dead bodies in yeah. the river? And then Robbie sees the army walking, driving by. And he desperately wants to join the army. Join, join the army right then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which doesn't but, really feel like that was telegraphed in any way from anything you know about him. Nope. Nope. I mean, <laughs> what the hell? No, it's not like he's wearing like an like an olive jacket and saying, yeah. "I want to, I want to go out there. Maybe what can we yeah. do, Dad? I want to, I want to do something." He's just yeah. a he's just a, a malcontent, and then okay. all of a sudden he's running up to the army like, "I want to fight." Yeah, that was. I, yeah. I mean, a malcontent and a Boston Red Sox cap. This that's is a, yeah. The, the, his uh, that's um, his character. You know, <laughs> rebellious teenage mm -hmm. uh, um, gesture is that. I mean, he doesn't live in Boston, 
and no. his dad. His dad's a I Yankee fan, so he wears a Red Sox hat. Yeah, yeah that he was wearing a, a Yankees cap. Yep. Uh, also, I mean, the Yankees cap had more uh, follow up than the uh, than the crane. I thought there would have been more about his relationship with his sister at that point, since we've already established that they have a connection. And for a while, it may even sort of be, well, we're together, but there's this guy who's our dad that we're not connected to. But when he decides he wants to go off to the army, that's all he's thinking about. He's not like, hey, bu- hey bye, Rach. See you later. Yeah. Uh, even he's just like, got to go, dad. Yeah. This is the moment where I recognize Justin Chatwin, who's been in a bunch of other stuff. Uh, I think very likable actor being really unlikable here, which is interesting. Um, and I also wrote down right after that, I hate these kids. <laughs> so yeah, that's how I was feeling around, uh. around now. Um, I, which again, I feel like I'm not quite sure what the movie wants to do. Um, and I think it's because they want Tom Cruise to be bad dad, sad crane dad, but they also I think kind of want us to see it from his perspective that the kids are kind of annoying and like, mm-hmm. guys, you can't, you can't have it both ways. Like either you got to like the kids, well, I think, or mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know because I, I, I start, I stopped being concerned about the kids at this point in the movie. I got to be kind of honest. I'm like, Oh, I hate these kids so much. And I think that's probably gone. I think that's probably not what the movie wanted to elicit out of me. I I think you can have Mm -hmm. it both ways, but you have to spend more camera time on that and less on giant explosions and monsters in the background. And the monsters in the background are what people are here for. So, yeah, well, it's right. You could do more shorthand, but it it is very it is the shorthand is so short that um, for me, I just I got I I think it's a, a situation where he's a bad he's a bad dad. And they're bad kids. And why am I watching these people is a little bit of what's going through my mind at this point. I don't Um, think she's a bad kid. I think the screaming is annoying. And I sort of separate that out as something that was made. She was made to do for the movie. And it seems incongruous enough with her character that I think that's why it's annoying. Because she's not. She's got this sort of calm, stoic thing going on most of the time. Sometimes she cries a little bit. But then she screams. And then she goes back to sort of a different character so i think that's just incoherence in the way that that child was directed yeah and and actually something that i thought of watching it in 2021 is i wonder if they're sort of trying i mean with the with the the anxiety that she's experiencing and her brother calming her down and stuff like that i think what the movie is really trying to say here is that she has some um she's i i don't know what to say she's not neurotypical she's got she's got some stuff going on she's got some issues she's got some stuff going on she may be seeing doctors for it but the movie isn't going to allow that to be really coherent because i think the movie really just wants to wants to chalk it up as yet another way where she's got stuff going on that's much more complicated than what tom cruise understands and doesn't really want to engage with it beyond that if we had if she had been a little more kind of coherently portrayed as being a kid with some very specific quirks or issues or whatever you want to say however they wanted to choose to portray her but instead i think it yeah i think there's because of the shorthand i think it's really inconsistent the screaming happens the i, I got a i don't think she i don't scene. think she's a character i think she's just a plot device to cause 
Tom Cruise stress. Sometimes the stress <laughs> is caused by external features, i.e. monsters. Sometimes yes. the stress is caused by internal features, i.e. the kid screams. Yes. And you don't or, or need... having to pee, which I'll tell you as a parent, yeah. absolutely happens. It doesn't matter. It's the end of the world and you're trying to save your kids and one of them suddenly will at the least opportune time will say, I have to pee. We just were at a place where, oh, so th- there's truth in that, I guess, is what I'm saying. No, I, I get that. But and, and but Monty's right also in the sense that those kids, as long as both of them are with him and then when he has one, those kids slow him down in yeah. some way. He has to protect them. He has to literally yeah. carry her at some point. And so she's a plot device. Again, exactly. I think she's a I think she's a great little actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to separate the screaming from that because mm-hmm. I feel I assume that I, I think it probably was her. But I also think that was completely a structure created for that character in the movie to be part of the the panic yes. that you're supposed to feel. Yeah. And Steven Spielberg thinks that when scary things happen, people screaming amps up the Especially action. little girls. Yes. <laughs> yeah. w- women and children scream mm-hmm. a lot in Spielberg And there's movies. not a lot of women and children in this movie except the little girl screaming. Yep. Most of those mobs, a lot of white dudes. A yep. whole lot of white dudes. Mm-hmm. Except for the, the non-white dudes who are the ones who like... Um, yes. Well, that's have, true. Have, we have non-white know, dudes doing what non-white dudes are supposed to do in movies. Yeah. I, I actually was impressed at how diverse his neighborhood is at the beginning. Um, yeah. But then that's about all of that that there is. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> all right. Um, the I I don't I totally agree though that ultimately the kids are just there because they're there for Tom Cruise to have somebody to protect and for them to be there or some of them at least to be there for the movie to progress because this movie is again really not about Tom Cruise saving the day. It's about him, except on the smallest scale of like saving his kids or some of them. Cause, right because he loses one but he does keep the other one around and and it's just staying alive and saving his kids is all he's trying to do here which is i think unusual and interesting in the in the sense that usually the idea is that the hero is trying to save the day and that's it's just about survival here it's it's a journey right because yes. he goes from location to location and so yeah. i thought about that there, there are any number of movies that are not uh blockbuster uh the aliens are killing us all but that are journey movies mm-hmm. it could be anything from you know lord of the rings on down where you your character you have the same characters walking through all these different spaces vanquishing whatever foes they have to vanquish or running away from them and going on to the next thing and they have some sort of obstacle or some sort of uh, burden to carry in this case it's tom cruise's kid yep mm-hmm. it's almost picaresque it's uh <laughs> episodic uh oh, yeah journey of this guy <laughs> This, the scenes are not, this happens, and then because of that, this happens. Nope. The scenes are, this happens, and then this happens. And then this other thing. And yeah. then this so, happens. So yeah. uh, what happens next is they go through a town, there's a crowd around, uh, and ultimately, like, people are banging on the on the windows and stuff, and, and uh, it, they throw a rock, and it all it all just goes really bad, and, and Tom Cruise gets out, and he's trying to protect his kids, and and his daughter is is seat belted in to the to the the second row, and uh, people are trying to take the car. I wondered why he had her put on her seatbelt then, and not <laughs> when he was tearing through a crowded freeway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and this leads to ultimately he he fires uh he fires his gun that he brought with him, and that that makes people. Uh, step back briefly, but I'm sitting there thinking, how many bullets do you have in that gun? And there's hundreds of people here. <laughs> and I got another guy with a gun basically says, I'm taking the car and uh, Tom Cruise drops the gun. He says, just give me my daughter, which he, he gets her out of the car and, and a guy picks up the gun. And I think this is a really interesting 
scene because we then they like they like leave the mob and are kind of up by this this old this diner um mm-hmm. and you see the the car starting to pull away but there are like people packed in it and there are people around it and you see the guy who picked up the gun unload the gun on the on the guy who is the driver who's the guy who threatened tom cruise like mm-hmm. and he shoots him repeatedly um and this is it's an interesting moment of kind of it's kind of like mob justice sort of like this guy was so offended by that guy that he decided to murder this guy which is sort of like i don't know i i you know what you're trying to get at here is that order has broken down and the people with the <laughs> guns are are gonna use the guns and you know i, I don't know it's it's a it's a kind of a harrowing uh, scene, but I think that's an interesting little little detail is the guy picks up Tom Cruise's gun and uses it to kill the guy who was threatening Tom Cruise. Don't you know it's this movie? But this is another one of those places where you go from a really big crowd of desperate people to a place where nobody is, which mm-hmm. I find weird. Like, there are no people in that diner, really. Right. And that happens a lot in this movie where, where Cruz finds a place to go. And I get it when he's in a basement or when he's hiding, you know, someplace where there's not a lot of people. But there's several instances in which he goes from a really crowded space to a space that is not crowded at all within an extremely short walk, which I find weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe the car being there brought everybody down or maybe everybody is walking. I mean, there's a sign for the ferry, right? So everybody may be walking to the ferry. And that's why they're not lingering. But I had that same thought, which is with this many people around, it is funny that they could just briefly take a few steps away and enter a location that had nobody in it. Um, And and they're not just on the periphery of the mob or anything. They're like up out, you know, at the diner watching the scene. You can watch the mob go by. Yes. (laughs) Lovely day for a mob. I, I definitely, you know, there was that moment. I thought it was sort of cool how they switched drivers, you know, he's like, don't stop the car, we're going to switch, but, yeah. you know, and, but then he falls asleep. I'm thinking, yeah, I think you can go with less sleep under these circumstances. But also, it it's like he wakes up at a moment where there's no getting out of that, you know, there, yeah. the car is already in the midst of a crowd. And there's, you know, short of mowing people down you are not going to escape um, with your car. And I was like, couldn't, you know, he should have got woken up sooner and said like, oh, dude, you missed the turnoff at whatever. Or, what, you know, because his whole plan was to avoid crowds. And yet he leaves the driving and, you know, the navigation in the hands of his son who, you know, doesn't have enough experience to avoid them. Right. Uh, which brings us to the Hudson Ferry. Oh, what a great scene. But, but you know, before the ferry, <laughs> I, w- I just want to say, like, you know, I do like disaster uh, navigation, uh, transportation disasters. And we already had the plane All right. crash. You want to talk about the train? Um, Is that what you want to mention? Train, the <laughs> oh, train goes yeah. by and I'm like, oh, good. A train got out. And then I'm like, oh, the train yeah, is totally it, it's on just, fire. It's just a scene. <laughs> It doesn't have any meaning in the rest of the movie, except it is brilliant, which is the little train things go down. Ding, 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 ding. Everybody in the mob stops. Nobody wants to get run over by a train. Um, everybody who's sort of wandering to the ferry. And then a train goes by and it is on fire. <laughs> like Every window. Every, like every- <laughs> it is just a, a ghost train burning yeah. itself out. And then it it is done and the gates come back up. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, well. 
you no, know, I it's guess amazing. in the context of the, the overall disaster. But yeah, then when they come and I see they're going to get on a ship, I'm like, oh, good. It, and now we'll have a ship disaster. Yeah. Well, the train, it's almost like a punchline. It's like, well, at yeah. least the trains are running. And then it goes by and it's on fire. <laughs> and then you say again, well, at least the trains are running. Right? <laughs> like, I mean, the 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 little uh, the gates went down and it's great. Things are yeah. fine. Things are fine. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Bird disaster. Uh, Rachel notices uh, birds. Birds are the signal. They fly away. Yeah. They fly toward. The, they're flying away. The trees are funny, she says. And that's because there's tripods in the trees and they're coming down and it makes that awful sound. And uh, <laughs> the crowd panics and you get this thing. They're trying to get on the ferry. Um, now, this is what reminded me of the shots of Kabul, by it, the way. It, it did, too. Yes, but yeah. ab- absolutely. There's there's this is the this is the scene that really does it. it it's people desperate to get mm-hmm. on there. They say there's no more room and, and they're like, there is room. You see people dropping off the ferry. Um, uh, but somehow uh, Tom Cruise and his family get on. But his friend and her child don't. They're on the other side. Um, and. And uh, and they're like, hey, we made it on. And Robbie Robbie uh, does a good thing, right? He helps mm-hmm. the people who are clinging to the outside. It's like, oh, look, for a moment, Robbie yeah. is doing something good. Um, great. Okay, well, they're on the boat now, and we're going to move to our next point in the... Nope. <laughs> a no, <we> whirlpool <laughs> is in the water. Up comes a tripod. The boat tips over. Cars fly off. Uh it is it is big and loud and disastrous and people are jumping off. It's like a little Titanic happening in the middle of War yeah. of the Worlds. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, again, if you've watched movies like this, I thought people were thinking, Oh, let's not get on this ferry. Mm. That even yeah. before they showed the underwater tripod, I thought that has got to be the worst place to be, you know, Just, because yeah. you know, super you've visible be in the middle and, of the river. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When they wade ashore, Mm -hmm. the movie is practically in black and white, Mm. which is when I would like to complain that this movie is too desaturated. Mm. I like movies with color in them. (laughs) Color is going to reappear. The color budget only goes so far. A a color is going to reappear. You know the movie Schindler's List where Steven Spielberg has it all in black except there's pops of red? It's like that. I feel like like he just... Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Um, it is. So the, the boat scene is, again, very impressively put together. Like this is, I, I feel like with all these scenes, it's like, this is why you're paying your money, people, right? You're, yeah. you're paying your money for this. And they're really, really well done. I, I think that may, that may frame my entire uh, opinion of, the, of this movie, which is um, the parts of it that are the high ticket price parts of it, are they, they deliver. <laughs> yeah, they do. Uh, they they really do. Um, so uh, when they do, they do get to the shore. Um, we see this kind of horrible thing happening behind the tripods. Are like picking people out of the water. Yes, that was like the first time where you see them actually picking people, yeah. rather than just uh, vaporizing. Yeah, them. they're collecting people now. Um, uh, we get to we we see the army or like army and national guard guys are there. Robbie again. He's like, I want to see this. I want to go fight. I want to go forward. I want to go to the front line. Uh, and Tom Cruise uh, tells Rachel, 
uh, you stay here by this tree. I'm sure no one will kidnap you while I go try to get Robbie. And Robbie's like, no, I got to go. And in the end, he sees that people are trying to take Rachel away and he lets Robbie go. You need to let me go, says Robbie, pointing out what needs to happen next in the movie. Thank you, Robbie. Uh, and that's it. So he, they, go, they go back and the army fires and there's like jeeps on fire and there's a wall of fire. And it's like very, very definitely that Robbie didn't make it. Um, yeah, he's definitely 100% dead. dead. Yep. Absolutely. No way he could yeah. make it. I was like, yeah, that had to happen. Somebody had to die. Somebody's got to wear a red shirt. Yeah. R.I.P. Robbie. By the way, when, when he lets Robbie go, did it seem like he stood there looking at him for a long time wow. while Rachel was screaming for him? A little bit. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, that whole scene was angsty for me for that reason, because I'm just like, go get her right now. Yeah. Uh, Robbie died as he lived um, for <laughs> the worst. Doing, <laughs> doing things for no good reason. Uh, yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right, so uh, they run and run and run and run, and a guy goes, hey, in here, it'll be safe here in the cellar. And it's Tim Robbins, everybody. Yeah. I like Tim Robbins, but this is the point in the movie where I really start to check out because it feels like it's been going on for a thousand hours. Yeah. and it, Tim Robbins has this speech. I have no idea what he says in it. So this is uh, an interesting part of the movie. Now, I think that what it's trying to do is give us a little bit of a break. From yeah. the super intense explosion, explosiony stuff, and when we do get a set piece in this in this location, it is a uh, a tension set piece instead of an explosiony set piece. What I really so I recently read this uh, read the novel again for mm-hmm. an episode of Sophomore Lit on mm-hmm. the Incomparable Network. You can go check it out. And what nice. what struck me about this, thank you, uh, is is this thing, I mean, Tim Robbins is not the same character, but like no. this is the one scene in this movie where I was like. Oh, it's just like in the book because in the book it's the main character who never gets a name and there's a weirdo and they're in this like cellar that is up yeah. against this hole where the aliens are like repairing their tripods and they're getting out of the tripods and doing stuff and they and the, they send in a little snaky thing to look for them or to check it out and they have to hide and the red roots are growing everywhere. This weird alien Mm -hmm. plant is growing everywhere. And I got to be honest, Monty, it's a really boring part of the book too, because, because it goes (laughs) on a little bit too long, but it is really memorable (laughs) in the sense that it is a a total shift where it's now we're right up against it. And now we got to be quiet and we got to, we're scared of these guys instead of just running for our lives. Now we're like right up against them and we need to be quiet. And, and once the action set piece starts to happen here, I think it's really, again, Steven Spielberg, good at his job. I think it's really well done, but we did, we get a whole Tim Robbins giving a speech about, uh, you know, it's an extermination and, and, uh, you know, uh, this isn't a war and I'm, I'm dead set on living. Ha ha dead living. Do you get it? (laughs) And that, that part is, is yeah, it's whatever. He's a weirdo. He, I, I think, you know, all I could pay attention to was like, it's interesting how they were able to make Tom Cruise look not that much shorter than Tim Robbins. Yeah, he's 10 <laughs> inches shorter than Tim right? Robbins. Yeah. <laughs> I kept thinking like, and I think they even, you know, there was like a scene where Tim Robbins is kind of sitting down on stairs. And so they're kind of oh, yeah. eye to eye. And I thought, yeah, they had to do that on purpose because you can't shrink Tim Robbins. Um and I want to give a shout out to the Beach Boys. You know, I was wondering what song it was going to be um, when uh, Rachel says, sing me 
this song, sing me that song. And he's like, I don't know those lullabies. And then, but he knows he has to sing. And I'm like, what is it going to be? And it was like, I'm not bragging, but don't, so don't let me down. I've got the hottest set of wheels in town. And I'm like, oh my God, it's a little discoop. And that was sort of, you know, that was sort of cute. And uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, they do, they do come circle back to the song, you know, and Rachel sings it that she wanted, which was Hush Up by Mountain. And I'm like, oh, great. I'm never going to be able to watch Chitty Chitty Bang Bang now (laughs) without thinking about all the red roots and the basement and (laughs) creepy Tim Robbins. And I'm pretty sure Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is the next movie on the incomparable schedule, is it not? Oh, I mean, (laughs) after the summer of Spielberg is over, who knows? Right. See, Dick Van Dyke action for you there. Now, if they had established that she has to be sung a song to calm down earlier in the movie, that would make sense. But they didn't. They established a hand gesture. Right. Yep. 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 And then Tom Cruise beats uh, Tim Robbins to death, even though Tim Robbins is taller and has a shovel. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. I, I mean, let's face it, somewhere... In this movie, Tom Cruise had to kill something. Yeah. And this was it, Tim Robbins. I So I think this scene is amazing. I love the fact that the thing comes in and is looking for them and they have to move around. It's super tense. They put up that mirror. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, she sticks her stupid kid, sticks her foot out and they're like, oh, they're going to find it. But, oh, it's just a shoe. They're gone. And you see, as it's looking at the shoe, you see them oh, scurrying yeah. around behind and they've gone. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, it's so well done. And, and there's that moment where Tim Robbins has his shotgun and mm-hmm. he's gonna, he's gonna take a shot at this thing. And Tom Cruise is like, you cannot do that. It's going to kill us if we do this. It's because they're trying to be quiet. Right. And but so they silently a shotgun. They don't have shotguns. They're not in the tripod. Let him shoot the but g- no, thing. But no, but he but it's it's the the thingy. They Oh no, no he wants to shoot probe. the aliens. You're right. He wants to shoot yeah. the aliens. Yeah, yeah. And and okay, we can ask why about a lot of things in this movie, but I really okay, love fair. the fact that they do a silent struggle because nobody wants to make any noise. I think that's mm-hmm. super tense and interesting. Um which leads to that line, you and me, I don't think we're on the same page, which is... Yeah. <laughs> See, I like it up to that point, but then when Tim Robbins is saying he's going to dig a tunnel to Boston... Yes. Come on. Yeah. No. That, that's, that's... Well, he's lost it, you know, and I think yeah. that's... No, that's 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 the portion that i really like is up to that point where where it's super tense and there's the he has the shotgun and they fight and and i don't think we're on the same page and then we get into the point where okay so uh we see the human juicer oh 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 there's something else i really okay. like in this basement scene yes how much action is happening outside that we don't see this movie does a lot of like flashes of light mm-hmm. in the window oh yeah and it works a lot there's a terrible movie called Battle Los Angeles, which is about an alien invasion that's shot for entirely inside an apartment. And sometimes they'll look out the window and say, oh, there's some aliens out there. <laughs> <laughs> this movie makes you believe there's da- dangerous things happening right outside. And it gets that way by showing you it sometimes. But sometimes it's just them flashing lights and you still go, yeah. oh, no. Not not to get yeah. all all like film schooly on you which i don't do very often but i'm gonna i didn't go to film school but although i did take a bunch of classes in college about it uh, visual arts minor uh that i never completed so uh, uh, okay but here it is steven spielberg 
is so good at at using lighting. Mm-hmm. Lighting and shadow in his movies. He is a master of it. The the people he works with and the way he sets up the light and the shots and Monty, I think you're right. The the lighting here implying what's happening outside without us seeing it and how how he composes his shots and what's in the dark and what's in the light, leaving the saturation out of it. Just talking about the use of lighting. He's so good at that. And you see it in, in this segment too, that, that there's limited light inside. There's stuff happening outside. He's just really good at it. Yeah. That's my film. And the only thing that took me out of this tense scene was that sometimes I was like, wait a second. I mean, I mean, so that probe thing is coming from one of the tripods, I assume. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking they're leaving a whole tripod here to, to you know, examine this one, examine this one basement and try to find these three people when they have like so millions of people they can still in, juice in the book. What, what this is, and, and it's implied by the fact that there are aliens like poking around at human stuff as well yeah. later is that there, this is like they're servicing the tripods here and it's like the, mm-hmm. the coffee break for the aliens, but it's also like in the book, it's very much like they're, this is where they're, they're meeting and they're like fixing stuff and they're working with their technology and all that. So it's kind of like the, the, the basement is up against this base mm. of the aliens, but you don't see a lot of that. So for me, as yeah. somebody who just read the book last year, I'm like, Oh yeah, well there's, they're, they're busy. They're, they're right in the hive of, of alien business. Now they're not looking for those three people in particular. They're trying to check out before the, the aliens go in there. They're trying to check out and see if there's anybody in there. And that's, that's all okay. they're trying to do. It's not, no, they're that, not special. They're just, sense. they're just trying to clear the, clear the space before the the guys get out of their little tripods and go down yeah. and, and take, take some human souvenirs or whatever they're doing. <laughs> um, okay. The human juicer is next. <laughs> A tube comes down and sucks all the, uh, all, all the blood out of a person or whatever. All the insides mm-hmm. li- are liquefied. I don't know what it is. Somehow, apparently these aliens need to, uh, juicify, uh, humans, which uh, leads what Tim Robbins freaks out at this point. And this is the thing where basically close your eyes and sing while I close my, I close this door and Tom Cruise goes into the door where Tim Robbins is closes it behind him. And uh, we see Dakota Fanning sort of singing to herself as we know that her father is murdering Tim Robbins on the other side of the door (laughs) with his bare hands, unless he got that shovel. I think he got the shovel. I think he got the shovel. Um, And uh, I, when this scene was over, I turned to Lauren and I said, Man, that's exactly how I felt after I killed that rat in the backyard. <laughs> With a shovel, by the way. It's gruesome. And I, I was like, yeah, yeah. we, Yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm not going to tell the story about it, why I had to kill a rat in the backyard, but it was it was awful. And I, I, I was like, all right. But I liked the artfulness of it, that the door is closed and mm-hmm. she's just singing along as her father does this thing. Like, I, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I like the scene. I find the setup for the scene strained tim robbins being being kooky and talking about nonsense and stuff being that kooky yes and also just standing there waiting with his shovel yeah well i think i think he's i think that's the idea is that he's he's gone bye-bye like to the point where tom cruise can basically take him out and put him out of his misery Mm -hmm. but because he's completely lost it but you're right he was threatening before and now it's not a problem (laughs) maybe it's a knockdown drag out in there except tom cruise kind of emerges not that worse for wear i i suppose (laughs) Well, it would be 
you don't want to make a lot of noise, you know, because the kid can only sing so loud unless she's screaming, in which case, yeah. just have the kid scream and then you could do any sort of violence well, you need. Well, that, that happens yeah. next. You don't have to wait, oh, yeah, don't have to wait long. <laughs> I, I mean, there was that moment like where they had the camera, you know, the shot was like focused on her face and I was like, I'm glad they show her being super grimy because, you know, that's more realistic after everything she's been through. And, you know, Dakota Fanning has a face that, you know, just is captivating. Um, and she is not like your your normal child that way, just her her look. And I'm and then, you know, then the probe comes back and uh and it's like, okay, here we go. I think it was around this point in the movie where I said, I feel like they've got to be close to the end of this movie. And they were. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> this time, Tom Cruise does attack the tentacle with a hatchet, yep. and it works fine, it works by fine. the way. Yeah. works just and fine. And Rachel <laughs> takes the opportunity to run out and get into danger again. Yeah, and scream. Right. And then he, and then we're finally like, oh, this is why her scream is useful. We can use it to find where she is, because just follow yeah. the <laughs> blood-curdling scream. I, uh, I was, like, hoping a little bit for, like, one of those, like, alien moments like where the there's that little kid whose scream like actually repels the aliens oh. but she doesn't have that power let me pitch this beat she runs out tom cruise follows the screams and finds another kid screaming because <laughs> then we zoom out and there's nothing but screaming children everywhere wow That's and the aliens never. are like i can't take it make them stop <laughs> steven spielberg is that you <laughs> No, because the aliens are only taking adults because they have more blood to juice. More blood for the juicer. Oh, yeah. So he, um, what happens here is that he finds some grenades in an army vehicle, throws one at the tripod, it grabs her. Um, people are being trapped in these baskets for the use in the human juicer. Uh, he he gets captured, too. Um, we get a scene that's very much like the Toy Story scene, you know, the claw. It moves as they pull, as they pluck individual humans out of the basket to use in the juicer. Um, and it get or, or, or to get pulled into a orifice. Yeah. Oh, um, which Tom Cruise goes into when they try to pull him back out and he goes in with the grenades and he times it really well where he can pull all the, I guess maybe he'll sacrifice himself if he needs to, but he pulls all the pins on the grenades and leaves them in the orifice, uh, while he being pulled out, which blows right. up the tripod, uh, real good. Good for him. Yeah. I'm glad he got to yeah, kill that, something. That, no, that reminded remind me of uh, Independence Day. And I was thinking, well, if they could only communicate to other people that here is how you bring these things down, um, they they could have wiped them all out. But no. It's okay. It doesn't matter. No. It doesn't matter. Grenade up, <laughs> grenade up the orifice for the people juicer. Um, so... They they drops all the people's pods and stuff and they get out and they're and they're uh we we then again move to another location which is they're in uh they're in a city now maybe this is the outskirts of Boston I don't know they're, they're it's Boston they're, because they're, that's they do end up in Boston, that when we so. see the welcome to Boston sign it was like oh mm-hmm. I guess uh, we're in so, Boston suffice it to say they walked across Connecticut and Massachusetts and are now in uh, Boston uh, and we see. That there is, this is really interesting now, there's a, a dead tripod, the red roots that we saw before, they're dying. Um, there's another tripod that's acting erratically. 
Um, they, the, the army decides that it, even though it's acting erratically, they're going to take it down. They fire a bunch of, of missiles and stuff at it, which, uh, does lots of extra property damage as the tripod comes <laughs> down and takes a big brick building with it. Uh, a hatch in the tripod opens up a bunch of red goo. Maybe it's human juice. I don't know. Yes, uh, plops out. And then there's an alien hand and it's a dead alien. The alien is dead. Um, and so you get the sense that the aliens yeah. are, are, are something has gone horribly wrong. Um, right. and, and then we, you know, he basically, it's Tom Cruise and the daughter are in Boston at Tim's parents or no, her at, at mom's parents' house and where mm-hmm. she and Tim are supposed to be. And they are there and it's what a, what a reunion. And guess who already got there? Probably only a few minutes before because he is also <laughs> a mess and has not been given any time to clean up. It's Robbie who definitely Ooh. didn't die. <laughs> No. <laughs> so here's my problem with the structure of this movie. All right. <laughs> we said earlier that he was just wandering randomly when he went to their house in nice New Jersey. And then he wants to go to Boston and he's called out several times by other characters for claiming to have a plan when he doesn't. He's just saying, uh, let's go to Boston, I guess. So, so I can give but, you to your mom and be rid of you. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the movie has to sync up his goal with the goal of defeating aliens. So when he gets to Boston, the aliens are defeated. Yeah. Not by him, although no. he does, you know, take part in telling the army to kill that one over there. But the movie tries to make it feel like he did it. He made it, you guys. If he had just stayed in his basement for two days, he would have made it. Right. Yeah. Like, I know it's because it's in the original book, but the alien invasion suddenly being cut down by no action of the protagonist is not dramatically satisfying in any way. Yep. And it's been that way for 130 years. (laughs) It's not. It's not. You know, I knew the the War of the Worlds novel, so I thought, I did think like, well, they can't make a movie, a, a big blockbuster action movie with Tom Cruise starring with that story. I'm sure they're going to you know, make it so he is the hero. Uploads a virus with a laptop or something. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I I thought, uh, yeah, I I was like, well, he's going to sneeze and they're going to shake. He was going to say, that's it. (laughs) He, uh, um, I mean, Spielberg didn't, uh, mess with the basic premise of war of the worlds. And, uh, and Morgan Freeman will tell you. Yeah, that. Morgan. That's what I was going to say. This is how they solved it: is they had Morgan Freeman narrate the beginning and the end because it's the voice yeah. of God, and he's going to explain everything to you. Monty, I think you make a really interesting point about the idea that it's the. I think maybe it's the conflation of the resolution of Tom Cruise's story and the resolution of the uh, alien invasion that is the part that got me to a little bit. Which is, you're right. They really want a hero's end for Tom Cruise when. The way that H.G. Wells structured this story, the whole point is all you get to do is try to survive. Yeah. And, the, and this thing, the other things that happen are out of your control. You have nothing to do with it. It just sort of ends and you go, oh, I'm still here and uh, it's over. Great. And, 
that's in a it. disaster movie that works like yes. earthquake the earthquakes are over you survived but aliens yeah. don't do that aliens should still be there alienating around well you know and in a disaster movie the hero saves many other people from the d- disaster mm. and tom cruise basically saved his one kid yeah saved one kid not the other kid and he also killed that guy <laughs> so well as as somebody who's not particularly a fan of Tom Cruise in Saving the World mode, yeah. you know, for me, that was sort of a break. I was like, oh, because well, I, I, I was dreading this movie just for the Tom Cruise of it all. And yeah. <laughs> at least he, he is restrained in his performance, generally speaking, mm-hmm. and he is not called upon to upload a virus to a laptop or do anything yep. uh, beyond his capability other than kill Tim Robbins off screen. I, I think Tim, I think Tom Cruise does a good job in this movie. My problem yeah. is he what does, he's yeah. being told to do. I think it's structural. See, that's the way I feel about Dakota Fanning. I think she does a great job and the screaming is incidental. (laughs) I I like, so the, one of the things I really like about this movie is that it is not a save the world movie. I like that it's just run Tom Cruise, try to save your kids, (laughs) try to stay alive. Like it's refreshing quite honestly, right? Because there's no superhero movies that that do this, right? Just try to stay alive <laughs> until the problem is passed. No. And and we know if you if you know anything about War of the Worlds, you know it's gonna it's gonna be solved and it's gonna be solved off screen. And I like Monty's point because it it, it actually fits with what I've been thinking about why it seems a little bit funny at the end is I kind of want it to all happen off screen, right? Like I kind of mm-hmm. want him to be ready to have to run the gauntlet in um in Boston and have him be like, oh, like they're just laying on the ground now and realize he doesn't have to like be in survival mode anymore or something like that, right? But instead they're like, no, 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 we're gonna show the le- the death throes of them and ha- have a final little sequence with the soldiers killing them. And like I it it, you're Monty saying that they're it's trying to connect them in your mind, even though they're not actually connected in the plot. I think it's a really great point that that this what what works about this movie for me is that Tom Cruise isn't a hero. You know, he's just trying to survive and keep his kid alive, which is heroic in a way, but he's not an action hero in that sense. And mm-hmm. and that's not the usual blockbuster movie like this. Yeah. But Robbie didn't die. So. That's a super uh, no. cheat, right? Like, I mean, how, that's that, a cheat. how could they? It was an incredible cheat. <laughs> that is, come on, uh, Spielberg. I, I know you want a happy ending, but Robbie being dead is a happy no, that's, ending. That's, the, yeah. that's Robbie's twin, Bobby, who we did not know, who has been with, Bo- with them in Boston the whole time. Bobby. No, yeah. it's, it's well, just, it's, it's, it's a cheat because like knowing that he survived, right? Because I haven't seen this movie before. When those, all those, like the movie is like trying so hard to kill him. Like there's mm-hmm. flames and there's Jeeps that are rolling with flames in them. And there's like mm-hmm. explosions and, and, and like all the army didn't survive. And Robbie just ran up there to be with them. So surely Robbie didn't survive. And not <laughs> only did he survive, he is no worse for wear. It's like he was teleported from that last scene he was in to Boston. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when, when Robbie Lee, you know, leaves and Tom Cruise lets him go, I thought, well, that is, you know, we're, we're getting an, a point here where mm-hmm. bad things are going to happen. And, and Robbie is like the sacrifice, even if it's a sacrifice to a really stupid, um, <laughs> you know, uh, motivation, but fine, he's going to lose one kid. 
uh, he didn't choose. It was no Sophie's choice. He just, you know, Robbie chose himself. And I thought, well, at least he dies. And there's a moment where (laughs) there's a moment in that final scene where the mom, whose name I completely forget, but Miranda Otto, who, um, you know, she's so happy to see Rachel. And then she sort of turns around and I think, now she's going to say, where's Robbie? And they're all going to cry together. Right. And this will be the end. Exactly. Um, and, and yeah, and I, I want to say about Miranda Otto is that um, I had sort of joked earlier in the Slack that, you know, to me, she's always going to be Eowyn from Lord of the Rings and like a badass. And so some she's going to have some ba- something badass to do in this movie, partially based on the fact that like the preview shot in Amazon Prime is her. You know, and I thought, oh, she's part of this kind of like in uh, 2020, the movie where uh, um, John Cusack's, you know, strange wife and he get back together because, you know, disaster movie. 2012. 2012. Oops. <laughs> How quickly it pa- the apocalypse passes us by. Well, that, 2020 would be a, a good name for a disaster movie. Yes. Right? Uh, mm-hmm. eight years Different off, kind. 20- 2012. Less Thank Mayan you. apocalypse, more modern apocalypse. <laughs> I think most people would be in their basements in that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So All of us. I thought, I was for, I, you know, I, I had never seen this before. I thought, you know, of the, the sort of marquee type actors they had, yeah. she was one. You were of really them. excited about Miranda Otto being in it. And I was sitting there watch, watching you say that, thinking, <laughs> oh. Yeah, I knew I knew no. nobody would would comment because there would no. be no spoilers. But I didn't know the spoiler would be there would be nothing. No, no, no. And you're right. It's a, that is you're right. The, the the Robbie not dying is such a ripoff because you are in that moment where it's like he's going to have to break it that Robbie isn't there and it's going to be very emotional and sad. And instead, she turns and goes, "Look, Robbie." <laughs> I was like, but. He made pretty good time. I mean, he yeah. didn't have to yeah. stop to kill Tim Robbins or anything. Well, he didn't have to. <laughs> what if Robbie were missing an arm or something? Just something right. to say, right. oh, he had an adventure and he got he got here worse for wear. So Robbie leaving, uh, one of the things about how Robbie is just sort of mishandled is I kind of would be okay with him, like, stepping up to help the army. But it happens so, I mean, it's just like he sees army guys. And he's like, army must go to army. And it's like, I, I just don't, I just don't get it. Because thematically, to have him choose to work to try to save humanity and to have Tom Cruise have to accept that his son has a direction and, and is going to go off on his own because it's a thing that he needs to do. That's a thing parents have to do. That's a part of parenting. Having that moment would be i think a good one thematically but instead you know it's botched it really is just like robbie's yeah. gonna run over there because he wants to see some explosions and you gotta go because the lady's trying to take your daughter so you gotta you gotta go back for her and then he's okay it's like okay well not none of that is any good you could have even <laughs> you could have even made it have been an ambition of Robbie's to be in the military uh-huh. that the dog that Rachel says to dad, he's wanted to go to West Point since he was seven yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Instead, the movie is lots of people died. Nobody important, but Cheryl, <laughs> remember Cheryl? Yeah. Cheryl lots died. Lots of extras died. Yeah. I don't know. Cheryl All we died. know about Cheryl is that, that, that it was fiery. She may be fine like Robbie. Well, I mean, if Robbie can survive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so, so wrapping this movie up, 
Um, because we've gotten to the point where, where again, Morgan Freeman comes in and says all the aliens died because of bacteria, because that was, that's right out of the book. Um, and because we didn't have anything this, to do with it. They just, they've studied us for millions of years. <laughs> But badly they didn't get out and their they but they didn't they weren't prepared for our diseases um yeah. i i think <laughs> if, I, if i'm send if i'm sensing anything of the vibe of the four of us having watched this movie it's that steven spielberg's really good with action that the the people who were there in the summer of 2005 who paid their money whatever ticket prices were back then to see a big Alien invasion movie with lots of explosions and running and stuff like that. They got their money's worth. Those scenes are are really well done. And the character bits are not as well done. That the the family ties are not as tight and the some of the choices made. And it's not the it's not the fault of the performances. It's really more that the I mean, I guess I don't want to speak for everyone else. I would like to know what you would think. I think where I'm going to end up here is that I think this is a really well-directed movie and it's a well-performed movie and the, the technical parts are all brilliant. And I think the screenplay is kind of not very good. I think that's probably where I would come down. What do all of you think? Well, I, I like Fanning and Cruz. I don't think, I don't actually think much of Robbie and it's not just because he's the worst. I just don't think that actor is very interesting. I haven't seen all the things he's done later. Yeah. So, you know, be that as it may. I, I would say Justin and Tim Chatwin, Robbins is Justin Chatwin works best when he's leaning into his um vanilla-ness. I think actually if you if he uses <laughs> that as an asset, he can it actually can work. He's he's in a Doctor Who uh Christmas special and he's actually yeah. he's Superman basically and Clark Kent. Okay. And and he's really good at that because that's exactly what Justin Chatwin can bring to it. Here, no, not so much. <laughs> He was also uh, Allison uh, Hendricks's uh, drug dealer boyfriend, um, who in Orphan Black. Orphan Black, and I, I didn't recognize him because he's super cute and like you know he's kind of a snarky you know savvy guy. Um, That's for the who, Sest- you should listen to the Sestra Cast, a podcast on the yes. Incomparable Network. Or I, did <laughs> I hear that's a really good show. I did it again. <laughs> Go continue, Shelley. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I am a big Tim Robbins fan. I don't think that character was written well at all. I don't know whether I can fault Tim Robbins for how he performed it. I just feel like it was, I hope he got paid really well. I'm I bet sure he did. Because he's yeah. Tim Robbins. <laughs> and, and also just the last little bit of trivia, and they don't have any speaking lines, but the grandmother and grandfather who are standing in the doorway at the very end uh, are Gene Barry and Ann Robinson, who were in the 1953 version of War of the Worlds. Ooh. Oh, that's sweet. Excellent. Very nice. Trivia. George Powell, shout out right there. My take <laughs> on this movie is I think at some point it was probably really well-developed interpersonal relationships and explosions, but... <laughs> at, <laughs> that's the elevator pitch right there. <laughs> but that would have been a four-hour movie, not mm. a two-hour movie. And they took the two hours entirely out of character development. Yep. <laughs> and. Uh, Gene, any other uh, verdict from so you? Can I, <laughs> you know, I, I've been using these uh, these podcasts to overcome my fear of scary movies, and I like Cloverfield better. I mean, mm. Cloverfield had a me, me too arc, and I'm like, wow, that 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 was a much better film. Than I was War thinking of the about Worlds. I was thinking about Cloverfield a lot during this mm-hmm. because this movie does a great job of keeping monster keeping the tripods in the frame yeah like a lot of the time there's tom cruise in the foreground 
And in the background, especially in the second half of the movie, a tripod is just wrecking things. And I was thinking, see, that's why I like a movie with a cinematographer rather than a found footage movie where the actors have to do the shooting. Because <laughs> Cloverfield did not show the monsters nearly enough. This movie oh. showed the tripods. Well, I think I think the, the, there's two ways to go, right? Which is Cloverfield is trying to not show the monsters partially because they can't pay her the monsters and partially sure. because they want that, ironically, Jaws thing, Spielberg, where yeah. you don't show the monster and it's scarier because you, you, you can't see all of it. Whereas... Steven Spielberg says, "I I got the money. We're gonna we're gonna show you the tripods." I think both of those takes are valid. I I love Cloverfield and think that it is the per, the perfect post nine eleven uh, urban mm-hmm. destruction horror film. War of the Worlds is more of a like more it's it's nine eleven and its vibe, but it is a conventional uh, almost disaster movie. I think Steven Spielberg because we were talking about this in the context of one of his other movies, like I think he loves disaster movies. I think he makes a lot of movies that are actually disaster movies and that, that he puts trappings around them because he kind of loves the, the fact that it's people running. Cause a, a disaster movie is people who are not under the, they, they don't have control over their situation. They just have to try to survive. And this movie is mm-hmm. that right. Like mm-hmm. it is firmly in that as a big spectacle, loud disaster movie. Yes. It's almost San Andreas. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, again... I think a heck of a ride if, if, if my theory of Steven Spielberg really liking amusement park rides <laughs> continuing here, I think that this one is a, is a pretty good ride, but there are those parts where you're like moving from car to car or something. I don't know. And uh, you, it's a part where you have to get out of the car and just walk through a boring part. Those parts are Sometimes you good. have to stop to pee and that's boring. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't look at the river, whatever you right. do. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Worst first contact ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, and I'm saying that from the point of view of the Martians or whoever. They oh, yeah, are. sure. Uh, and uh, it's the director yeah. of ET, I mean, everybody. <laughs> uh, I'll just say that the Jeff Wayne musical War of the Worlds is narrated by Richard Burton. Also does a great yes. job. All right. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, that is the end of this edition of the Summer of Spielberg. It's almost at an end, but not quite. There's a little bit left. Uh, but I would like to thank my guests for joining me to talk about War of the Worlds, uh, emerging from their tripods now. Shelley Brisbane, <laughs> thank you. My pleasure. Jean McDonald, thank you. I enjoyed that I got to see this film finally, and <laughs> I will probably never see it again. Yeah, that's fair. Monty Ashley, thank you. Thank you, Jason. And because I love you, I am not screaming like Rachel right now, which was my first instinct. <laughs> oh, bless you. Bless you. Bless you. And everybody Clipping is bad. Everybody out there, if you didn't like this episode, why don't you just scream about it? Just go ahead. Steven Spielberg <laughs> loves that kind of thing. Uh, we'll be back next week with more of the summer of Spielberg. Until then, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>